0: Thank you ladies. Nice job. Nice song. Aren't you glad Jesus died for you? Amen. I sure am. Go ahead and get in your Bible if you would to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4 we have on Sunday night. has been in a lengthy series on Bible doctrine. Over a year and a half now some doctrines we've discussed are key doctrines. Uh, doctrines for which we are commanded to earnestly contend. Other doctrines, we have studied are doctrines that help our stability. They give us better ways to think about life and eternity, but they're not worth dying or fighting about. And as I mentioned last Sunday night, I want to spend some time as we near the end of this particular series on some practical applications of Bible doctrines and principles. Last Sunday night we spent time talking about what the early church did when they assembled. And we talked for a moment or so about how we apply their biblical example here at Bible Baptist Church. Uh, As the churches... Uh, In the days of the apostles, focused on the great commission Christ gave to them, we see the early church assembling to preach and teach the scriptures. They uh, received money, they sang together, they prayed together, and as we close talking about, they made a lot of effort to remain in one accord. No church no relationship ever remains in one accord unless people are making effort to do so and we encourage one another to set aside our personal preferences and our petty differences to for christ's sake be in one accord uh, as a church as much as we possibly can and so tonight um, we're going to continue this portion of practical application with something most people would call a method Uh, Many church leaders and Christians in our generation, they feel like they have the liberty to use whatever methods they want. Uh, Lord willing, in a couple weeks and a Sunday night, we're going to talk about uh, biblical liberty. But there are a lot of believers who have embraced a commonly repeated phrase, a phrase that is only partially true. That common phrase off repeated is this, our message never changes but our methods do change. Now that sounds good on the surface but some methods are biblical methods and biblical methods should not change regardless of what culture does or what country we're in and we (laughs) cannot change them in addition to not changing our message. Uh, As a church Because the Lord Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church, because first and foremost, the church isn't ours, other than in a certain kind of a sense, the church really belongs to Jesus, we seek first and foremost what he wants in his church, and uh, so we're looking for methods he wants methods revealed in the scriptures. And where there are no biblical methods given in the scriptures, quite frankly, we're free to apply and use whatever cultures that are appropriate to our culture. Uh, But biblical methods should never change. Now the method I would like to talk about tonight is a method of communication, particularly in the church. But because this method is not popular in our culture, some Christian leaders have abandoned it. Because this method is also not appealing to our flesh, some Christians don't like it and they try to avoid it. But because this is a method given to us in the New Testament, we need to keep it in our life and we need to promote it in the Lord's church. If you're able to stand, if you would stand tonight in honor of the reading of the Word of God, uh, the title of my thought tonight is The Prominence of preaching the Word, the prominence of preaching the Word. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 14. Paul here with the final drops of ink from his pen before dying as a martyr says in verse 14 of chapter 3, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The man of God may be perfect, throughly furnished through all good works. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, shall be turned unto fables. Thank you. you might be seated. In the last known communication that Paul has prior to dying as a martyr, he had a letter that the Spirit of God dictated to through him to his son in the faith, Timothy. And when people are communicating their last words to someone and they know that these are their last words and this is someone who is dear to them, they choose their words very carefully. They understand that whatever it is that they say is going to just resonate and bounce around in that person's heart and mind for the rest of their life. By the time we are here in Second Timothy chapter 4, Paul, of course, is uh, sitting in a dungeon, so to speak, sentenced to death in the city of Rome, and by this time he understood his place in the work of Christ. Uh, I mean, for decades he had been used by God very uniquely as the apostle to the Gentiles to plant many churches, to train many men and women for the ministry, to do lots of different things. He understood who he was and he had some things he wanted to make sure that he passed on to Timothy one last time to make sure that Timothy not only strongly believed them himself, but taught others these things in the work of God. See, Timothy had been raised by a godly grandmother, Lois, and a godly mother, Eunice. In fact, it was his mom and his grandmother who taught him the scriptures when he was just a child. In chapter 3 and verse 15, that from a child. Thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Timothy's dad likely was not saved. He's described as a Greek in Acts 16.1. And the scriptures trace Timothy's faith to a faithful and a godly uh, grandmother and mother, faithful female role models in his life. By the way, thank God for women who step up when husbands and fathers fail to step up. Thank God for women who step back when men choose to step up to provide godly leadership in their home. You see, Paul and Timothy had been through some very difficult and dangerous times over their decades together, in addition to the great victories God had given them through Christ. And there's a special bond between Christian people who have suffered and served together. There's a special bond between us here, most especially those of us who have endured the hardness of many years to see what God has built here at Bible Baptist Church. There will be and is forming another special bond between those of us who continue to sacrifice and to serve and to see Christ's church here remain what God would have it to be for a Bible Baptist church to stay true to Christ in the scriptures. You see, Timothy learned what he knew from a godly mother and a godly grandmother and he learned from the great apostle Paul as well. And Paul says, I want you to continue in what you've learned. And that's what Paul says to him in verse 14. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them. You see, it wasn't just that someone Timothy was not familiar with had taught him the Word of God. He knew his mother's testimony, living with a lost man. He knew his grandmother's testimony when they converted from Judaism to being a follower of Jesus. He knew what they had endured from family and friends and their culture. He understood, and he understood who he was. And he says, listen, Timothy, never forget who taught you what you have learned and continue in them. You see, there were some things Paul wanted to make sure that Timothy didn't change when he passed off the scene. You you, you know, sometimes we get this idea that Christianity is kind of like Technology, that, like it's a computer that comes out with something new every couple years we need or uh, we're now on the Apple phone 14 for you Apple phone snobs and uh, I don't know what number Samsung phone we're on, it's probably three. But whatever it is, uh, Christianity is not like technology. You and I aren't a part of something that is supposed to change on a regular basis. You and I are a part of something that's very ancient. That you and I have been specifically charged not to change. Paul told Timothy, he said, The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others. Uh, Listen. There were things passed to the people in this room, some of you, by faithful grandparents, by faithful parents, by faithful aunts and uncles. Many of you uh, were had things passed to you by faithful teachers in your Sunday school class, faithful pastors, faithful staff members, faithful deacons over the years. You know their testimony, you know how they lived, you know what it meant to live out and flesh out what they taught. And Paul basically just says, listen, you know who you learned this stuff from. Don't be taken in by everything new. Continue in what you have been taught. And so Paul reminds Timothy in this backdrop about the quality of the scriptures. Remember, he had the scriptures in his hand as a child. Uh, Listen, he didn't have some original manuscript. He had copies of copies of copies of a Hebrew manuscript that had been translated in the Greek language, that that was called scripture. And so Paul is going to tell him here, uh, don't lose sight of the quality and purpose with the, for the scriptures. And he does that in verse 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Uh, Timothy would have never realized the extent of this as a child when he held the Bible in his hand. The Bible that his mother and grandmother had given him and loved and taught him as as a child, he didn't understand this. But now as a grown man, and particularly as a spiritual leader and the pastor of the church in Ephesus, he was supposed to understand more. He was supposed to understand that God had breathed, that God had inspired holy men uh, to pen God's words. He was supposed to understand that. He was supposed to understand the four purposes for which he had been given the scriptures, sound doctrine understand what to believe and what God had taught us uh, for uh, sound doctrine. And the second thing there, for reproof, to point out what's wrong, for correction, to show him how to fix what's wrong, for instruction in righteousness, to show him how to do what's right after he had corrected what was pointed out to him as being wrong. To anyone finding honest Biblical answers instead of forming an opinion reading books by others about the Bible, the Bible is about much more than the Gospel. In fact the Gospel isn't mentioned here other than through a side door because the Gospel is the starting point of salvation and it is the starting point of sound doctrine. But the Bible is about much more than the Gospel. After Paul reminds Timothy of something he had likely heard many times, and in light of that reminder, he gives Timothy a command. Now sometimes, because of the chapter and verse markings in our Bible, which are very helpful, we lose sight of the fact that this letter wasn't divided into chapters and verses when Paul wrote it to Timothy. And so chapter 4 is linked to how he closed chapter 3. And number 1 tonight, Paul clearly commands Timothy to preach the scriptures. Chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all long suffering and doctrine. Paul calls Timothy to account before the two greatest witnesses there are, God the Father and God the Son. And as the pastor of the church of Ephesus at that time, there was a command that he needed to keep in mind in light of the inspiration of Scripture and in light of the purpose for which God had given the Scripture. Christ will judge the world two more times. Did you see that there in verse 1? At his appearing in his kingdom. The appearing is when he will appear in the clouds in the sky for his own, just before the seven-year tribulation. And his kingdom is at the end of those seven years when he comes back in power and glory to establish his kingdom on the earth. Christ will judge the world at both of those cases, at those times. And those are the witnesses that Paul calls to bear. And Paul gives his most trusted pupil, the pastor of the church of Ephesus, a clear command in verse 2, preach the word. See, God's people need and spiritual leaders are supposed to preach the word. Keep your hand there. Go in your Bible to Romans chapter 1. Preaching the word begins with preaching the gospel. The word gospel means good news and the word preach just means to proclaim. Timothy was supposed to preach the word and that begins with preaching the gospel. Romans 1 verse 15, Paul here says, so as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. He had not yet been there. uh, And I'm sure had no idea he would get there as a prisoner Verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. As I said, preach means proclaim and herald. Here to proclaim and herald the good news that Christ died for our sins, that he rose again from the dead after three days, and that all who would humbly call upon him would be saved. Eleven times the New Testament tells someone to preach the gospel. Zero times, teach the gospel. I didn't write the Bible, I'm just teaching the Bible. There's seven additional times that someone, quote, preached the gospel. So, preach the gospel eleven times, preach the gospel seven times. Even when Philip shared the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch one and one, it's still described as in, he, quote, preached unto him Jesus in Acts 8.35. Have you ever witnessed to someone, uh, you didn't raise your voice, you were not in a church, you were not standing behind a pulpit and they said something like, don't preach to me. There is something very pointed about the gospel. Now whether from behind a pulpit or one-on-one going through life, we see throughout the entire New Testament people preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some men did it from behind a pulpit or whatever they stood behind at that time, and others did it one-on-one as they went through life. Now the gospel, of course, is a story of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, but it is not just the information of the gospel. The gospel also includes some form of decision, something that causes you to need to decide what you're going to do with Jesus, turn up to Romans chapter 10. There's a phrase that occurs three times in the gospel. And uh, when I was initially taught the Bible, I was taught, you want to know the definition of the gospel? It's in 1 Corinthians 15, that Christ died uh, uh, on the cross according to the scriptures, was buried, and that he rose again from the dead after three days according to the scriptures. That's the information of the gospel, but that's not the whole gospel. Excuse me. The gospel also includes something demanding a response. That's why three times you read this phrase, Romans 10, 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. As Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report. Three times in the New Testament, it talks about obeying the gospel. Listen, you don't obey information. Uh, the information of the gospel is that Christ died for our sins uh, on the cross. According to the scriptures, he was buried. And after three days, he rose again from the dead, according to the scriptures. But the gospel also includes some decision. Do you want to believe him? Do you want to receive him? Do you want him in your life? Those kinds of things. And thus, the gospel needs to be obeyed. And Paul went to Rome to preach the gospel. Ah, uh, As I said earlier, the gospel is not all that preachers should preach, but it is where we start. People will never grow in their faith if the pastor only preaches the gospel. Now, maybe you've never heard this, but I've had multiple people over the years say something to me like, I wish he'd just stick with preaching the gospel. That's ignorant. Uh, listen, what you and I ought to be doing when we hear someone preach, it ought to simply be this. Did he preach what's in the Bible? And is how he applied what was in the Bible, is that a reasonable application? You ought to, be the, you ought to ask those questions when you listen to me. Hey, listen, I'm not the final authority. This book is the final authority. I've told you many times, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I don't stand here because I'm better. I stand here because God has called and gifted me to do this. Preaching the gospel is a biblical method for spreading the gospel. And neither you nor I have the right to decide that it is not our responsibility as an individual Christian to witness and preach the gospel, nor do we have the right to decide that the church should not stand up and preach the gospel. We have no right to change this. And in light of the inspiration of scriptures, if you go back to our text in 1 Timothy chapter 4, because we don't just preach the gospel... In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, we also preach the scriptures. We preach the scriptures or preach the word. Remember, the word preach means to proclaim or herald something. We are to proclaim, to herald, to announce everything that God has told us through his word. Listen, I have a responsibility to you as your pastor, and every man that stands up as a shepherd of God's people has a responsibility to the people of God to preach more than the gospel. I have a responsibility to preach to you all the counsel of God. Uh, I get it. Uh, I'm not supposed to stand here and trumpet my opinions or trumpet my priorities. I I, I know that when you talk as much as I end up talking, that that stuff ekes its way in there. And I try to, uh, often you'll say, well, I believe or I think. Uh, I try to do that. But understand, uh, what my opinions are, if things don't matter, what matters is in this book. To preach the word. Preachers are supposed to, do you like the description of preaching the word? I don't know that I like it. Did you see what he said? Reprove, verse 2, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Uh, Exhortation in the New Testament uh, are two things. Sometimes it's a word of encouragement. At times it's a word of motivation. And you say, which one of them is it here? Both. Preaching of the word should reprove and rebuke and exhort all of us if it's being done like it's supposed to be done in the power and presence of God's spirit. Uh, When the crowd surrounded Jesus in Capernaum, you remember when he was in the house and they had to let that palsied man down through the roof? He is described at that time as he preached the word to them. Mark 2, 2. When the disciples were scattered in Jerusalem by persecution, the Bible says that they, quote, went everywhere preaching the word. Peter and John, uh, they followed up on Philip. You remember that? Philip went up to Samaria. It's what he did in Samaria in Acts 8:5 is described as he preached Christ unto them. You may remember the story from Acts 8, and then they called for John and Peter, and Peter and John, quote, preached the word of the Lord to them say, why is it like that? Because the first thing they needed was somebody to preach Christ unto them. And Philip did that. And the next thing they needed was someone to preach the word of the Lord to them. And Peter and John did that. So throughout the book of Acts and over and over again in the New Testament, we find disciples of Jesus preaching the word. Whether our culture likes it or not, preaching the gospel and preaching the word is a biblical method. Keep your hand there. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I do not debate that these newer Bibles have things in them that people can get saved and you can learn some things about God and life in them. I don't debate that. But there's only one book that is 100% accurate in the English language. That's this book I'm preaching from tonight. And this is an example of A place where modern versions change what's said and it completely changes the meaning. Notice, uh, by the way, it's very easy to think that in our high-tech, sophisticated society that people uh, don't like preaching today, uh, but they used to like it. Listen, there have always been plenty of people that didn't like preaching as a method. And they considered it a foolish method. Uh, if you uh, haven't gathered what, what's going on around you, uh, listen, most people in our culture, they would, they, they would look at what I'm doing right now as foolish. Notice what it says in 1 Corinthians 1.18. It says, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. If you have a different Bible, it would say something like this. For the message of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. So what's that change? It changes the message to the method. The preaching of the cross is a method. The message of the cross is something different. We don't have a foolish message, we have a foolish method. Listen, it's not a foolish message that we're guilty sinners, that God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that he had him shed his blood, suffer, die on a cross, and rise again from the dead. That's not a foolish message so people could live forever. That's not a foolish message. But this is a foolish method. But it is the method that God uses... To bring people to Christ. Look at verse 21. For after in the wisdom of the world, God, I'm sorry, for after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Again, if you have a different Bible, it says uh, the foolishness of the message or the word. We don't have a foolish message. We have a foolish method. It's a biblical method. God likes it, (laughs) God chose it. We need pastors and preachers and witnesses who will stand up and preach the Word of God. All of it, not just the easy parts. By the way, I'm not just talking about preaching. I've heard some preaching over the course of my day uh, that had very little to do with the Word. It isn't stand up. Paul didn't say to Timothy, preach. He he said to Timothy, preach the Word. Oh, listen, I've heard some good preaching that wasn't about the Word. We're to preach the Word. Uh, we need Christians with a heart for God to know you need to hear God's Word preached. You, you need to decide, hey, you know what, I'm going to love it. I, uh, you sound, well, I'm going to love when Brother Wally gets a little loud, when he gets a vein that pops in his forehead, when he moves to the side and leaves his nose. You, you just decide, you know, I'm going to love it. It, it. it is God's method have you come to recognize the importance and prominence of preaching in the New Testament? Are you someone who fights against it? Do you do what you can to support it? Hey, listen, Mark Adon, if God put a high value on preaching the word, then you and I, as followers of Jesus, we need the word preached to us. Amen? Which gets us to our second thing. Please go back in your Bible to Second Timothy chapter 4. Once again, if you would, please. Not only did the spirit of God through Paul command Timothy to preach the word in light of its inspiration and purpose, secondly Paul gives a prophetic warning of how people would one day respond to the word. Verses 3 and 4 he does that. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. By the way, notice in verse 2 you're supposed to preach the word with all long suffering and doctrine. He says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. By the way, sound doctrine, remember, the scripture was profitable for doctrine. Remember that? The day is going to come they will not endure sound doctrine. Verse 3 says, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers. Remember what he just said, preach the word. They shall heap to themselves teachers, having itch ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, shall be turned unto fables. Uh, In light of the command to preach the word, it's interesting that not only is the command to preach the word ignored, the warning following it is also often ignored. You and I have no right to remove this from the location in which the Spirit of God placed it. See, there's actually two changes here. There's a prophecy about the Preach the word to teaching. Remember? They'll heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And there's not just a change of method, there's a change of content. The change of content is that it will change from sound doctrine to subjects that tickle the ears of those who want to have their ears tickled. Remember, this is all in contrast to preach the word, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. This is a contrast to that. And he predicts that there's a day coming when God's people are going to want a spiritual leader who no longer preaches all the counsel of God, they no longer preach the word, they no longer reprove, rebuke, and exhort, but rather instead they teach things that are subjects that tickle their ears. You may disagree with this, but I do not believe it's an accident that many of the most popular Christian leaders in America's Christianity for the last 20 or 25 years have been teaching ministries rather than preaching ministries. Don't misunderstand me. We need those who teach God's words too. The leader of each assembly of believers is a pastor-teacher, according to Ephesians 4.11. When Paul laid down the qualifications to be a leader of an assembly, they are in 1 Timothy 3, 2 supposed to be, quote, apt to teach. The third part of the great commission we've been given by Jesus Christ himself is to teach those who have believed and been baptized all the things that Jesus taught us. Uh, Nine times the Gospels record Jesus or describe him by saying he taught them. You see, teaching the Word of God should accompany and complement preaching. It should not replace it. It's no accident that much of lukewarm contemporary Christianity in America today, they teach only positive things from the Word of God. Very little reproof, very little rebuke, very little exhortation. Now, again, uh, we ought to thank God for all the positive things in the Bible. I'm glad that God loves us regardless of whether we are quote, performing or not. God's love is unchangeable. I'm glad that I am secure in Christ and that God looks at me through the righteousness of Jesus Christ and that He's not imputing any sin to my heavenly account because of Christ in me. I'm so glad we have a home in glory. I'm so glad that Jesus never leaves or forsakes me. I'm so glad the Spirit of God lives in me. and He is my teacher and my comforter and my protector from the evil one. I'm glad for all those positive things. But you know there's a lot of negatives in the Bible too. Nine of the Ten Commandments are Negative. You might look at it as being negative, that there's a judgment in the future that everyone will give account of themselves to God. Uh, Listen, I find it pretty much of a negative commandment that I'm supposed to submit. Hey, listen, if you like to submit, I don't understand you. That's a negative command. I mean, it goes against every last raw nerve I got and yours too. Listen, God commanding holiness and separation from ungodliness as well as separating from false doctrine, those are negative things. It's pretty negative just to face the fact that we're all guilty sinners. That the righteousnesses that we have are filthy rags to offer God for salvation. That's tough stuff to swallow. And in contrast, and in fulfillment of, of preaching the word, reproving, rebuking, and exhorting, in contrast to this prophecy uh, and the balance of the Bible, you have men like Joel Olstein. I mean, probably uh, he stands behind a, the pulpit speaking to more people in America than anyone else. I'm told there are over 45,000 who attend services at Lakewood Church every week. Uh, I'm told that there are 10 million people that watch him every week on television. I'm told that on one of his uh, electronic uh, sites of some sort or another, he has 60 million views every week. Uh, His first book, (laughs) this is a real godly title, Your Best Life Now, he didn't give that book to John the Baptist or James, or Peter, or pretty much anybody in the New Testament, uh, sold over 10 million copies. I'm told... Uh, Now, there's some false information that says his church pays him $54 million a year. From what I understand, that's false information. His actual income isn't from the church. He doesn't take a salary from there. But his actual income annually is more like $70 million from his book sales and different speaking fees and other things he gets on the Internet. Suffering for Christ. Um, I'm not going to call him a false prophet because, to the best of my knowledge, he still preaches that Jesus is the Savior of the world. I don't know if he ever preached that Jesus is the only Savior. Uh, but Joel Olstein he preaches a false Christianity. He makes it clear that he does not talk about sin, sinners, hell, or nation, or anything else that's hard to hear. Can I just say, that makes him not like Jesus. And it's pretty obvious with that kind of audience in America, that we have a lot of American Christianity with itching ears, just like the Bible said would happen. And we desperately need spiritual leaders who both preach and teach the positive and negatives, the whole counsel of God, from the Bible. Listen, we live in a day and age when the church is focused on lots of other things other than preaching and teaching all the counsel of God. Uh, I like that we do drama. Uh, at at Christmas. I I think it's a great change of pace. Love the messages that our kids get out uh, in in that. But listen, drama was around in the first century and they didn't build churches on drama. It's not how Christ built his churches. Read the book of Acts. Uh, It may shock some of these people who will consider themselves to be great innovators that concerts were around in the first century. Play musical instruments for people is nothing new, but it's not the method God used to build churches in the book of Acts. Uh, it might shock all these great innovators that, you know, people were charitable back in the first century too. They could have given away water. I rather doubt they would have given away gift wrap because uh, I don't know that they celebrated Christmas in that manner at that time. But giving away stuff, I mean, that's nothing new. You know, we live in a day and age where people, uh, they actually, they really act. And they may even say that we need to feed them and water them before we give them the gospel. Do you realize that is completely contrary to the book of Acts. Uh, Listen, I I believe we ought to be charitable. I I believe we ought to be giving. I I believe people ought to find in us the kindest, warmest, gentlest people who just simply stand on the truths of God's word. But there's something desperately wrong with American Christianity today when we can't evangelize a village without building them a well. We can't plant a church until we first give them manna. I'm, again, I am not preaching against being charitable. What I'm preaching against is this whole idea that the gospel is anything other than first. That the message of the cross, the message of Jesus Christ, and the preaching and teaching of all the counsel of God has always been God's method for building His churches and feeding His people. And that means we both have a responsibility. I have a responsibility to do that to the best of the ability God has given me. And you have a responsibility to support that wherever we find it. Amen? Amen? If you would stand.